expect me to talk? Good evening, everyone, and welcome to episode 86 of Do You Expect Us to Talk? Uh, I'm hosting, which is a rare, nay, freak occurrence, which means it's a music episode. Uh, before we get to that, firstly, apologies. We should have been recording four seconds earlier, but Chris was having a sip of tea. <laughs> <laughs> so apologies, we're late. <laughs> Very English already, apologising and drinking tea. Yes. Funnily, that was so close to the conversation we've just had, but we'll reveal that in our Christmas special. Anyway, mm. so as I've mentioned him first, uh, please welcome. Now, don't welcome him. That's a fellow for the top. General. Saying hello to Mr. Chris Byrne. Good evening. Oh, hello. Sorry, I fucking introduced Charlie then for a second. <laughs> it took me by surprise. If we keep flagging like this, I'll be, int- I'll be introducing all manner of. <laughs> yes, I'm making a very special appearance uh, on, the, on, on, the, on the podcast. I'm on weekly. <laughs> Oh dear, you can see why I don't host very often, I'm utter shite, anyway, our normal host, Miss Becca Andrews, good evening. Good evening. And returning for the first of at least nine and probably eleven consecutive podcasts, associate presenter and editor of Movie Drone, Charlie Brigden, how are you? Um, I have a terrible cold, so I apologise to everyone. Yeah. Um, that's what happens when, you know, Devon is for real men. <laughs> so you sound very husky, so it's all right. Yeah. I'm sure yeah. it is. So, yeah. <laughs> you, should, you, should, you should, like, do some, like, um, singing. Uh, you should record a blues album. Yeah, well, I was also thinking of the offer you made to our listeners in the last episode. Do we extend it to throw Charlie in? Uh, Chris was trying to pimp us all out in the last episode. All right. Yeah. Yeah, if you want to charge by minute. Well, to be fair, I think you were already doing that. So I just like... Mind you, you mentioned it, and I raced in with the email address yeah. as quickly as possible. You thought, yeah, I, I, I said it as a joke. You thought, no, that's a good idea. <laughs> okay. So, Charlie's going to be with us for the entirety of our Star Wars series, which is going to be, we think, all of the films theatrically released, or live-action films theatrically released so far official ones not caravan of courage or anything um <laughs> and not the 19 well the 2008 and he wants grand day out eight films probably probably to um uh, commentaries as well but we'll talk about that next week 
this is actually effectively the last episode of the Batman series. Um, in that we talked from the very outset of of planning to do this, that Charlie would come back prior to Star Wars and do a um, a show around superhero music. What this does omit, although we may mention, may mention it in passing, is the Marvel Cinematic Universe, because we cover that as a series next year. So we will be talking about that in a separate show. But this is very much about where the superhero sound comes from, what, what are its uh, main attributes, how has it changed over time, what influences can we see in some of the stuff we've heard in the sort of um, superhero sort of explosion of the last sort of 20 years or so. Charlie, where would you like to start us? Um, yeah, I, I guess um, talking about... Um, what a superhero score actually sounds like or what people's perceptions of them um, are. Well, let's start with the regular host. Chris, what do you think of when you think of a superhero score? Do you think of a particular one? Do you immediately think, oh, John Williams, Superman? Or do you think it's now become so diverse that you can't pigeonhole it? I I don't know if you mentioned superhero score. I don't know. I, I guess probably... John Williams Superman is the first one that comes to my head uh, initially, uh, but I think it's that sort of yeah. I, I, I guess it is that super. That is like probably the penultimate one, isn't it? That, that, I think that was. I'm sure Charlie will correct me if I'm wrong, but that was probably like the first one to come about. Really, the first. Well, in, in terms of like a grand, in terms of like cinema, I guess. I'm sure there's like there was musical cues on TV, but you know, but in terms of in everyone's mind, I do think that is probably like the the standpoint, isn't it? The the Superman uh, fanfare. I, th- I think, yeah. I think cons- considering how long, when when that when that film, I mean that film came out in nineteen seventy eight, and it's still that score is still, and even the film is still talked about as the gold standard for superhero films. Um, I mean that that's especially how the superhero film. Um, has exploded over the last, well, since really since the turn of the uh, the, the century, the, the start of the twenty first century, and all the superhero films that have come from that, um, and then going from there, and then yeah, it, it's still the one people think about. I think also in terms of when you think of like the recent ones um not to say that they they haven't been good scores but they haven't they aren't as like rememberable as as the superman one uh there there aren't as many as like iconic kind of like instantly stands out like that one does i mean there are a few ones like the elfman batman one i guess uh but that's probably helped with the tv show the animated tv show as well um but I, in terms of that, I can't. You know, I mean, maybe Man of Steel is pretty, is possibly. I know. Well, I, th- I think because the yeah, because the the sound now of of not just superhero films, but kind of uh, many action films and kind of blockbusters in general has has become fairly kind of um, <clears throat> diluted to the point where a lot of it does sound the same. Um, and I mean, we can certainly get on that later when we talk about kind of stuff like the Dark Knight films and going on from there. Um, and but it's like you, you mentioned Elfman's Batman, um, which 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 was only eleven years after Superman's. So 
Um, and I think because there was a gap there, and then for yeah, I almost think yeah, you think of them as different eras, and they're not actually that far apart. Yeah, I mean, I mean, Superman four. Um, was 1987 and Batman was 1989. Yeah, but and then when of... you think, and when you think the end of that Batman run, I know it's a different score, and we'll talk about that later. Oh but yeah. If you talk about that run of four Batman films, that finished in 97, and yeah. Blade, Blade was 98, and X Men was 2000. Absolutely. So it, it, yeah, it, it is. What do you think, Becca? What, what comes to mind when when you think superhero scores? When you were sort of thinking about this episode forthcoming? Yes, it was. I think Superman definitely is probably one of the iconic ones. Um, Dark Knight, so cops and you know, and those kind of themes pop into my head just because they were probably not not what you would first think of. You kind of, I tend to think of like, this is sound really weird. I'm not a trained musician, but kind of like in musical terms, what motifs and instruments would would you hear most commonly? Perhaps obviously being you know, um, certain phrases that would be common within that genre. Um, but yeah, certainly John Williams. Um, Batman, Superman, but also most recently the Avengers. I think that was pretty iconic score. Um, yeah. and Guardians of the Galaxy as well, obviously with its kind of eighties mixed into it as well. Um, yeah. I mean, I mean, just, just the, the usual, really. But in terms of like music, like technical side of it, yeah. um, instrumentals and things like that, really, that sort of thing that would come to mind. But yeah, definitely Batman, Superman, Guardians, all that. Yeah, I mean, obviously, we will talk about MCU as we go through this. We, we we're not banned from mentioning it, but obviously, the Avengers we'll talk about next year because I certainly think I certainly think it's a bit of a myth that they're all these forgettable scores. Yeah, I think there's some, I think there's some pretty decent scores in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yeah, actually. definitely. But we'll come back to that, Charlie. You you sent us like an outline to sort of start us thinking, as well as some sort of background listening. Um, your very first question. <laughs> Is you ask the question the superhero sound heroic or dramatic? <clears throat> yeah, I mean, again, this is this is going back to Superman and Batman, and how both of them are the they're, they're the two most iconic superhero scores and superhero themes you can think of. I think the word theme is important here as well because of, of how recognizable those themes are. And then how that kind of differs later on down the line, um, but they're so similar, but they're so different. Uh, are um, we talking about eighty nine and seventy eight? Yeah, absolutely, yeah, absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. They are, and and I certainly, funnily enough, we're, we're going to sort of take a sort of tour through some of the history now in a minute, and we we will hopefully listeners get to play some music in just a moment. But we we I was listening to modern things at the end of listening to some of the earlier stuff you sent me. Mm. And I was seeing, I was seeing less precursors to the Superman score than I was to the Batman score. Mm. And strangely, I was seeing less precursors to the Superman score than I was Goldsmith's Supergirl score. Mm. And I don't know how that was just me taking a very quick tour through it, but you can certainly hear in some of the earlier iterations of Superman, some of Williams, but I, I'm not sure that all the genres that built up to it, uh, uh, William seems to spring a lot more from nowhere than some of the other stuff. I might be completely wrong in that. I, uh, some of the stuff you had us lent it uh, had us listening to was was lending itself a lot more to like his Star Wars stuff. Oh, absolutely. And and again, this this is why people kind of consider um, these. these 
few years, like 1975 to kind of 1984, usually, um, to basically um, Jaws to Indiana Jones and Zemla Dean as John Williams' kind of golden age. So, <clears throat> I mean, yeah, in 1977, he did Star Wars and he did Close Encounters. And then in 1978, he did Superman. He also did Jaws 2. He also did an amazing score called The Fury for Brian De Palma. Um, the following year, he did a uh, an, an adaptation of Dracula, and then he did Empire Strikes Back and Raiders of the Lost Ark and E.T. Um, but That's Star Wars cool. is really where the connection lies more. <laughs> so, well, I think you've you've given us a list of um, required reading. I'm actually going to go slightly off topic because this, the the second thing on your list yeah. is what I'm driving at. But let's go back to the first. You mentioned the King Kong score from yeah. 1933. What what led to you bringing this one to our attention? Well, <clears throat> the uh, um, King King Kong Max Steiner score score is generally um, regarded as um, the first score that introduced um, to film scoring. In um, in Hollywood, um, the idea of, of light motif. Um, I mean, before before light before um, King Kong. So King Kong was nineteen thirty three. So that wasn't massively long. So right. So 19, King Kong nineteen thirty three. That's not massively long after the sound era. Uh, the, sorry, the silent era. So the silent era really kind of began to end in 1926 um, when Warner Brothers, they had a system called Vitaphone, which was kind of basically a synchronised disc with the sound on or the music on that they could play alongside the film. So obviously before it was people on a piano either doing their own thing or doing things according to what sheet music they had been set. Why didn't they just get on the internet and download what the standard fucking score was? Ask Thomas Edison. <laughs> um, interestingly enough, Edison, I mean, this is a, a tiny bit off topic, but Edison did make films in the silent era. And, um, I think people tend to forget that, don't they? Yeah, one, one of the films he made in, in 1910 was an adaptation of Frankenstein. Um, and with every copy of the film that went out, went out a list that he, he and the, uh, the filmmakers prepared um, with what music they wanted to have wanted to have uh, played at that moment so it was it was kind of very sophisticated in some ways and then with other, with other films it was not at all um, the, the earlier scores you sent us to sort of listen to they they do sound so evocative and and it and it's i think it's two things firstly they do sound like silent era scores but that's possibly because they're so close to the silent era yeah but it's also that that you, you can just tell that they're, they're having to fill in so much more that isn't being said through dialogue and so on and other cues. Um, i tell you what, let's just play a, a little bit from King Kong.
Yeah, so what I think, I mean, obviously, first of all, I came to it, it sounds very you know, your typical old school Hollywood score, but I, but I also associate that with actual classical music as well. There's always like that element, that that kind of like, that connection with it, I always feel. There's always, um, when, you, when you listen to like your, your typical composers like Beethoven or Mozart or anything you might put on classical FM, I don't, yeah, I'm not, I'm not really astute with uh, composers myself, but... That um, but that's what always springs to my mind, you know, when I when I hear. I think there's, there's always the influence of classical music. What do you think, Becca? I would agree with that actually. Um, I mean, just on that piece there, you can hear a lot of like Holston, um, Grieg, and things like that. A lot of like um, Britain as well. And a lot of the kind of it's very patriotic sounding. But yeah, I would say probably in more terms of kind of like maybe 30s, 40s, 50s, definitely an influence um, of classical music for sure. But yeah, no, I think that's that's a astute observation. I'm not really known for astute observations, so thank you. I know we're stunned, <laughs> but we'll get over it. <laughs> uh, no, I think it's a good point. Well made. I think we're all planning to go home and rethink our lives after that one. <laughs> um, Chris makes a point. <laughs> Jesus. Chris made a point, and it didn't involve fruit. <laughs> or the other thing that you can make a point with. <laughs> it's finger. Yeah, like that. All right, excellent. So, King Kong, what uh, can we see? An I'm, I'm, I'm just amazed that the that the first rude joke was actually made by Becca. I was like, I think oh, that's a double whammy right there. I meant, I meant your finger. Double whammy. I made, so wrong I, I made a stupid observation. And Becca was the first one to be rude. I raised my brow. Yeah. <laughs> So, obviously, you haven't mentioned King Kong in isolation. You've mentioned King Kong for the basic light mo- use of leitmotif. Yeah. More than anything else. Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> that's the thing. When you look at um, superheroes, it's, it's, it's a bit like in horror films sometimes, um, where you need to get a musical idea um, of someone that will, that will reoccur. Um like Jaws, for instance. Yeah, I, I'm sure most people who listen to this, being film fans, will know. But can you just very briefly say what leitmotif is, please? Right. So, um, yeah. So leitmotif is um, where you have um, musical motifs and phrases and what have you for um, parts of the film. Um, so you have for, for characters, um, sometimes for locations, sometimes for um, events that reoccur um so it's it's really a, a really easy um simple way of identifying characters okay and, uh, although, although we're going to be very pretty chronological here let's cross cut to something modern to prove that point yeah so if we take a modern example this from wonder woman is a perfect example Right, so I mean, just 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 going back to Kong for a second, and both what Becker and um, and Chris said um, are about the classical music. So Max Steiner, who um, who composed King Kong, um, was born in in Vienna in Austria, um, and Vienna is basically one of the the big home of classical music. Um, so you have people that were born there, um, who are people like Schubert and Strauss. Um, 
And then you had people who went to work there and took a pose there. So Mozart, Beethoven, Bruckner, Brahms, Mahler, a lot of these people. So, and so from that, that kind of fed in to, to Steiner um, for him to apply what he had learned from these composers and Richard Wagner, who is really kind of considered, uh, he's not the first person, but he's considered like the, the godfather of light motif with his um, um, ring cycle opera. Um, so they put that as King Kong. Now, just just in those, um, in that brief snippet of the main title of Kong you played earlier, um, there was straight away um, two identified motifs um, there, which was the theme for King Kong, which is the dun, dun, dun. and then later on the, the theme for uh, for Fay Ray's um, Anne, which is the dun, 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 dun. Um, so then the way King Kong used leitmotif um, with that kind of film um, really kind of enhanced how such an outrageously fantastic film um, is able to, it was able to be viewed and not only as a kind of visual visceral experience but also as an emotional as well um, in King Kong's or is King Kong is, is known as the, uh, um, the the tragic monster um, and much of that is because of, of the way um, Steiner used light motif in that score. Um, <clears throat> now, where this leads into Flash Gordon is a couple of years after uh, um, Kong in 1935, um, a composer called Franz Waxman um, scored Bride of Frankenstein. And again, Bride of Frankenstein is another um, score that just uses an incredible... Um, set of light motifs and it's, it's just amazing um, <clears throat> but what they did after that is um, a lot of the music from Bride of Frankenstein and a, a lot of other universal scores were put into Flash Gordon I mentioned Flash Gordon's trip to Mars um, specifically because that is one that had Bride of Frankenstein's score recycled into it and Flash Gordon really is is potentially one of the earliest kind of superheroes you can think, especially on the big screen and with his serials um, and the way that led from there. And then, of course, you had the Batman serials and Superman serials. And those were kind of like the really kind of early, early versions of, uh, of superhero films, really. So then you've got already, you've got these, these kind of fantastic stories um, of these heroic, usually men, unfortunately. Um, That's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> well, no, but the, yeah, then it's, it's, I think it's he's making of... making the point exclusively men in this time. Yeah, yeah, flash yeah. Gordon. Even, uh, it's the time, though, isn't it? So. Yeah, it's very much of the time, I would say. Uh, Charlie, yeah, when, oh, you yeah, say, so. when you say when you say the Superman serial, do you mean Kirk Allen or do you mean the Fleischer cartoons? Oh, the, the, the Fleischers. Okay, let's just play a couple of bits here. Uh, first off, I'm going to play a bit from Flash Gordon. They've just put together some highlights from the 38 and 40 serials, which does include the one Charlie's talking about. 
and then there'll be a slight pause and we will play you the Fleischer theme. So here's uh, Flash Gordon. did when i listened to more of it earlier than i'll probably end up playing in the final cut of this show i thought i could hear leia's theme in that but we'll come back to it i don't think it's going to play in the clip i played you i was going to say but, the same do you know what i heard in that what did you hear Slayer, in star wars we both heard it then so there were definitely yeah. and, and indiana jones and star wars are both serials yeah so that was well, very, from that same but kind of stable also, this serials that he grew up with i really yeah. really heard this That's the Superman theme from the, the Fleischer cartoons, which are just fantastic. I love them. Mm. I, I love them all because they're just, they're, they're just, they're, they're animation set to music, aren't they, Charlie? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, absolutely beautiful. But so again, we're, we're kind of stumbling over this Star Wars thing because it isn't really a superhero thing. But then the Superman, the Superman did have its roots in being a serial, which has its roots in the same thing as Indy and Star Wars. Yeah, I mean, to to be honest, even even though it's not a superhero um, film at the basic level, the music for Star Wars is still very much because because there's kind of aspects in it that has very much of kind of the myth of Arthur and the knights and things like that, which themselves could be seen as precursors to superheroes. 
Oh, I, mean, um, I, I, I guess so, but in my but, research, it was it, it, I felt like it was sending me down the wrong path, but it, but it isn't really, is it? Yeah, but so when I mean when you think so you've got you've got that the Fleischer theme, and you know it's just got the, da, 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 <clears throat> those notes are sending upwards. So soaring. that's yeah, so that's soaring with him, and it's just so it's the same way Star Wars goes. Do, 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 does the same thing as Superman. William C. Superman does exactly the same thing, and those opening notes, notes of Superman, the of, of the actual theme, that is very similar to the Fleischer theme. There were some real surprises in in all of this. Uh, where do you want to go next? Because you you did mention to us something. Uh, you mentioned Journey to the Center of the Earth earlier. Although you've listed it behind Batman 66. I don't know which one you want to talk about first. Well, yeah, I mean, because I mean, the, the Batman stuff is kind of a bit more of an anomaly. Um, because, I mean, with, with Batman, um, that this, because the show was um, so kind of subversive and had that kind of feel, it was all kind of very much kind of jazz and kind of from that. Um, although the, Yeah, although... The, although- there were certainly, I mean, a, a few times during the stuff you've sent me, I thought I'd been hearing, you know, the love child of Bernard Herrmann and like Henry Mancini or something. Yeah, I mean, but, in, in but, quite a lot of what I'm hearing. Yeah, I mean, Bernard Herrmann, um, people think of him for Psycho, um, but he did a fair few um, fantasy films and, and um, films for Ray Harryhausen as well. Um, so, again, it's the same thing with King Kong, where using um using music to back up fantastic tales especially one um where you have these models that are not much much farther than um kind of 15 i mean i think i think the kong puppet was like was like 18 inches or something yeah like I've, that. I've got 17 in my head or 18 yeah something like that. Yeah. yeah and just just to make the, these things come to life um I mean, one of the funny things about Herman, he was a staunch kind of opposer of the light motif. Um, he thought a lot of it was too kind of complicated, and he uh, um, his 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 stuffs were very kind of much more kind of shorter um, motifs. Um, but when you look at where um, the the musical evolution comes, so you have John Williams, and John Williams is very much from Steiner and also um, Eric Wolfgang Korngold, who did um, a lot of the uh, um, kind of things like he did uh, The Adventures of Robin Hood, and he did a lot of the old pirate films like um, The Sea Wolf and um, Captain Blood and things like that. Um, or was Captain Blood Steiner? That's, I'm getting confused. Um, but The Seahawk as well, which is a massive influence on on Williams. Um, so that's one line, because he used leitmotif amazingly well as, as, as well. Um, and then you have Herman, and Herman is is very much into, keyed into where Danny Elfman comes from. Um, well, we have a perfect clip to illustrate this. It's one you sent us earlier. Mm. Um, this is Journey to the Centre of the Earth, uh, when I went through it, I thought I could hear a certain score and then thought no more about it until today when Charlie sent us all a clip, literally just before we recorded, which actually proved the point exactly. Listen to this, folks. 
that's like listening to more or less the same piece of music twice without without ever feeling it's been ripped off i don't know when you get to the last bit it does sound pretty you know uncanny doesn't it it just sound like uh, that is straight off batman I, I had to look at the screen closely yesterday when I played it because I thought it, I thought the two had been spliced together. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's very bizarre. Makes for it's interesting, but it makes for as you say very uncanny listening. But you have got like the bell ch- chimes in the background yeah. as well. Um... I found a sort of slightly more sort of tangential similarity um, earlier on today when I was listening, and it was the um, Vertigo theme. Uh, let me just play a little bit of that for you first. This is Bernard Herrmann from the 1958 Hitchcock film. And then you listen to Danny Elfman's work on the 2003 Hulk film. Another two very, very similar pieces of music. Charlie. Absolutely. I mean, it's the same with Williams. You can certainly go through parts of Star Wars and um, and uh, other um, scores by Williams where um, where the, uh, the, the influence shows through. Um because I mean, Elfman, massive fan of Herman, massive fan of Williams as well, and because of Williams um, listening to classical music before him, um, and that influence bleeds through. Um, you can definitely see influences from Holt. I I, I think, uh, especially in the the planets and the uh, the Jupiter, you can definitely hear Krypton. The feet is theme from Krypton in that, um, and and I've, I've also this the uh, the Empire theme in um, the Empire Strikes Back as well. I'm pretty sure that sounds something similar in in somewhere. 
along the lines. Well, let's. Uh, so, Chris, you, you're pointing out a similarity between Holst's Jupiter theme and the Krypton theme from Williams. Yeah. And this is this is uh, sort of John Williams. It, it's not a doppelganger, but it's definitely evoking the same thing. Um, and and the funny thing is, I'm, I'm being taken on this sort of chronological journey through it all, uh, I'm I'm sort of starting to cross cut more now because I'm, uh, you just hear things and you go, that reminds me of. Some of the yeah. big surprises, Charlie, is if you look at sort of sixties music, sort of a bit of Herman, a bit of uh, Mancini. Mm. I certainly heard that in some of the Giacchino scores you sent me. I'm thinking specifically of the Incredibles. Yeah, well, I mean, certainly the Incredibles because um, <clears throat> it is almost a Bond score. Um, so you have in the so you have um, Barry is the uh, the obvious one, and then you have um, Mancini um, and um, Lalo Schifrin and all those guys in the sixties because um, Schifrin was doing Mission Impossible. Barry was doing Bond, and um, Mancini was doing stuff like the Pink Panther and stuff mm. like um, Charade as well. well if, um, if you're listening to if, you, if you if you're listening to us, you'll know what uh, Barry's music sounds like. Everyone knows the Mission Impossible theme. Uh, what was the other one you just referenced, Charlie? Um, that was uh, Man- Mancini's. Um, oh, Pink Panther, and of course you should all know what the Pink Panther sounds like. Here is the Incredibles theme song. Uh, we're getting a sequel to this soon. You'll know it instantly, but I'd forgotten it till I played it. Here's the Incredibles. Mm-hmm. 
Um, I mean, the interesting thing as well is that um, uh, apparently John Barry was asked to score that film first. Mm. Yeah. Um, we just sort of talked over because we're playing bits of the music to each other here while we're recording this and what you're getting listening at home is like a clean edit of it afterwards as we were listening to it we just we immediately said that's a Barry bit and that's a Mancini bit um, and, and they're both both within the first few seconds um, I also play, yeah so we're bouncing a bit all over the place here and that's kind of my fault we've got to sort of the, the, the sort of early 60s with Herman where do you want to go next Charlie? Um, well, I, I don't think we were busting about too much because, again, this this is where you start to see that um, Steiner, Herman, these guys are really the, uh, the 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 kind of the classical music, um, or they are two people like John Williams and Danny Elfman and those guys um, are as classical composers were to Steiner and, and Herman and people like that. Um, so that is the way that the evolution um, has, has, has come through and, and certainly starts to, 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 to filter. I mean, to, to be honest with you from this, I mean, kind of you had the, uh, the um, Ray Harryhausen and kind of Sinbad films and things like that, which kind of went through to about 77. I think, I think I asked about the eye of the tiger was, the last one is 77, which I mean, why Roy Bird, if I remember. Um, but then, and then you had Star Wars, which kind of, I mean, Star Wars, not, it's impossible when talking about fantasy scores not to talk about it in some way because it had such a huge impact musically. Um, and Star Wars really kind of kick started um, a new kind of era of symphonic scores um where in kind of like the earlier 70s um it was a lot of it was kind of based on jazz and a lot of it was kind of a, a lot more kind of minimalist um but uh but when williams did that and then going from that straight on to superman um and the his work on superman is just unbelievable um and we can't we can't have a music a superhero music show without playing some bits from this. We just played the Krypton theme. Would you like me to play the main the main theme, Charlie? Absolutely. Okay, let's play a little bit of the main theme to uh, John Williams' 1978 Superman.
That yeah. still uh, <laughs> that still makes hair stand up. Not all of them. That would look weird. I mean, what what's what's amazing and and why it is still um, the, uh, the 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 gold standard as it were um, is because because um, thema- thematics are so um, so well suited to these kind of films. Um, but also, you, we, we talk. We were talking earlier briefly about kind of like how it is now, and a lot of people's complaints, um, not just with superhero films, but in a lot of scoring in general, is the lack of real um, kind of themes from that. Um, and I'm just quickly sketching out on my pad, um, and really from that. I mean, for that, for that, um, for Superman, Williams wrote around seven themes. Seven. Um, But when you, when you kind of boil that down to the ones that are iconic, I mean, even the main theme's got two parts that everyone remembers. It's like Indiana Jones, isn't it? You did the, you did basically sort of like two parts to, to make the, the one big theme, haven't you? You know, you exactly. Yeah. Yeah, you got the sort of um, the, the the main bit, and you got like sort of the more rambly one, which is kind of like what you had an idea for two, and Spielberg said, "Well, why not just both?" <laughs> just yeah, yeah. Together. So you use that as the bridge. Yeah. Um, so with Superman, you've got the du, 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 the fanfare leading up to it, which itself just puts hairs, like Dave said, right on the back of your neck, and then you've got the, the main thing, and so to have those two. Iconic pieces together, and certainly the way in the film that they're used differently. Um, Plus, also you got like, can you read my mind? And yeah, exactly. ripped on in, in that in you know it's jam packed full of like scores that just instantly sort of like just stick stick in your mind. You know, it's like most most composers would kill to have just one in a film, but you know, let alone like four or yeah, however. I, th- I think we're, I mean I know we're here to talk about music, but one of the things that really elevates the Superman score for me is actually the fact that it, with the film itself was shot by Jeffrey Unsworth, and it's got like a dreamlike quality. Yeah. Uh, and the scene I always point to as the best example of that um, is the interview with Lois on mm. the uh, the sort of penthouse because all the lights on her sort of terrace give off this glow. And it and it sort of half looks like location, half looks like a set, and it's got this little dreamlike quality to it. It's like somebody's and, put um, marrying that on sort the of a little bit. It's got a touch of sort of soft focus to it, but it's something more than that. And he did it in film after film, um, and even relatively not beautiful films like Zardos had it to a degree. Um, but then, but when you marry a, a sort of a, a fantasy style score to it, it's great. Such a rich score as well. Absolutely, I mean the the the, 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 the Smallville theme as well. Oh yeah, the Smallville theme that that plays right over that plays over Jonathan's funeral, doesn't it? As the camera rises. Yeah, I love that bit. Let's hear a and, bit of that. Yeah.
Yeah, beautiful that is. And what the one, it's the way also, and again, this is how why it's kind of Williams is so good at this and, and astonishing that he did this, and Star Wars kind of back to pack. Um, is is the way it really kind of how important it is narratively and how it tells the story. Um, I mean, when you watch the um, the Fortress of Solitude sequence, um, I mean that that's that the cue um, from when he starts going when he says when he um, starts the camera cuts to the going towards um, the Arctic or wherever. From that moment to um, when he kind of flies off towards the screen as Superman, it's about nine minutes long, and it's all music. So it's, it's, there's no dialogue, apart from the kind of there's, there's the speech at the end that kind of Jor-El gives. Um, we get that. We get that in the last two or three minutes of every Star Wars film as well, don't we? Yeah. Yeah. Um, absolutely wonderful stuff. I, I think it would be remiss of us not to mention around this point because you've picked it up. Um, a kind of stable mate to this would be the 1984 Supergirl film. Uh, I know you're a big Jerry Goldsmith fan. Tell mm. us a little bit about that score, Charlie. Uh, it, it lives a little bit in the shadow of this one for obvious reasons. Um, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's, it is a bit different because Goldsmith and um, and Williams were, were quite different composers. I mean, it, as opposed to the kind of light motif stuff that Williams was famous for. Um, Goldsmith kind of followed. He's, he was mentored by uh, Nikolaus Rocha, who, uh, as well as doing some of the Hitchcock scores, like Spellbound, he also did Ben-Hur and things like that. So um, he was well-versed in these kind of big scores. Um, so what he did is he kind of, in, instead of using, having all these different kind of selections of themes, he'd have one main theme going as a backbone for the score and then have it kind of develop off into other parts. Um here is that main theme. little bit of star trek in that a little bit like a little sort of yeah not not quite star trek but something like yeah this this it does remind me of like a of maybe maybe not star trek but like another space odyssey like um oh what's yes yeah, well like, he so, did he did star trek so yeah i'm thinking like some of the lines of battle of battle um beyond the start or something something like akin to that you know that kind of like throwback b movie uh in space um yeah I, i've got i've got i've gotten the names of them but there was a, there was a couple of them but they sound something similar to that then it did goes with score those 
No. No, okay. Uh, but, <laughs> but, but, well, Battle Beyond the Stars was half ripped off from Goldsmith. Okay, well, and that's half probably ripped why. off from Williams. So, yeah, it was, it was very much. If you, if you listen to Battle Beyond the Stars um, and then you listen to Star Trek The Motion Picture and Star Wars, um, you can just kind of go through and pick it all out. Okay. I'm not going to do that, though, because I'm not giving you oxygen if it's a rip off. <laughs> <laughs> but um, as, as well, Goldsmith. Um, used electronics in a much more kind of overt way than Williams did. Um, Williams kind of was Williams more traditionalist in terms of his uh, composing. Um, mainly, yeah, but he used um, his he, he he kind of picked his electronics use very carefully, um, whereas Goldsmith was very much about experimenting. And Goldsmith, Goldsmith was much more of an experimental composer, um, so he always used to look um, to use electronics up front in his scores. Mm. I think um, I always think Goldsmith is a little bit more um, varied in his styles. Uh, sometimes, like we think of the, I think the, you the... can pin down what we think John Williams is. Easier. Oh, definitely. Uh, tip, typically, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, it, it seems like um, when he did the score for Catch Me If You Can, it sounds like, oh, this is something different that uh, John Williams hasn't done. Usually just goes for, like, big orchestra grand kind of stuff. Um, whereas... Yeah, which is funny because, um, I mean, John Williams, before um, he started working with Spielberg um, and Lucas and things like that, he was... Uh, some of his scores were quite jazzy. He did a lot of kind of comedy, comedy scores in the 60s. Um, and if I remember rightly as well, he actually played the uh, um, the piano on Peter Gunn, the theme, um, for a Henry Mancini, um, which itself is a real jazz piece. Um, so you, but, you can um, see different types of splint music sort of splintering off in, in different directions and little yeah. sort of sub-bits repeating. Can I just play a little bit of this for a minute? It's something Charlie recommended earlier that we listened to. Let me just play you...
Um, yeah, it's, it's no secret that, that um, Michael Cicchino is a massive John Williams fan. Um, <clears throat> and, uh, yeah, it's, it's his scores very much work in the vein of um, kind of a mix of Williams, Goldsmith and James Horner. Um, but uh, but really kind of, I mean, Spielberg himself called him the next John Williams and he's followed on from John Williams a few times. I mean, he did Jurassic World yes. um, and he did Rogue One. He did. He was a sort of last minute replacement, wasn't he? Yeah. Yeah. I, I think mean, a lot of people expected Abrams to use him for episode seven as well. Yeah. I mean, he but, didn't end up going that way, but I think it was taken as a, and it's, it is a testament to the guy that I, I'm not just going to call him a mimic, but he can do what the film <laughs> requires that it wouldn't worry you. Giacchino doing, doing one of the main star Wars episodes. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, but uh, on the, on the same thing, John Williams is responsible for at least 50% of the success of star Wars. Yeah. Um, and uh, and well, to, to but, he, of... but he's also in his mid to late eighties now. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, but um, so... I mean, even going going back to um to Superman, I mean, it's it's interesting the way those scores kind of played out over those four films, um, where two was just kind of like um, an adaptation of number one. Yeah, Ken um, Thorn. Yes. Yeah. Um, and then in um, three, he was able to write a lot more of his own things. Oh, it was Ken Thorne in three as well, was it? Yeah, yeah. I didn't know. I um, don't think I knew that. I know who it is for four. Yeah. Um, and then for four, yeah, it was um, Alexander Courage, who is famous for writing the Star Trek theme. But what happened, um, and this is similar to what happened on uh, Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets is that you had, I mean, because Alexander Courage um, was very much and kind of an orchestrator. So he worked a lot with Williams. He worked with Goldsmith as well in helping orchestrate their work. Um, so, so that's why it was kind of a really good choice for him to do that. And so what happened was Williams wrote, I think three themes um, for Superman 4 and then gave them to Alexander Courage to put them in the score um, he wrote, I think he wrote one for Nuclear Man he wrote um, Jeremy's theme for the, the little kid and uh, again something more a bit jazzy which is Lacey's theme uh, I have managed to find the Nuclear Man theme so let's play that I didn't realise that, this is John Williams Hear a bit of flash in that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, 
Um, yeah. I mean, I, th I think personally for me, the thing that slightly kind of doesn't help with that score and, and the, uh, this, the other two as well um, preceding it is the size of the, uh, the orchestra. Too small. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so they don't share that same kind of huge sound. Uh, you hear it in the opening music to Superman 4. If you go back, listeners, because I, I don't feel the need to replay a bit of music we only played a few minutes ago, but if you go and uh, listen to the opening of our Superman the movie episode and then go and listen to the opening of our Superman 4 music, i.e., clip, sting, and then a bit of music, it's the same piece of music, but it's such a flatter, shitter version of it. It just doesn't have that majesty of the sort of 78 version. Where Williams, is, his scores always sounds the most authentically possible, I guess, to me, because even a lot of kind of orchestral sounds these days, um, scores sound like they're almost like samples because they've been overdubbed. Um, but uh, yeah, Williams just is always able to get a full orchestra and it's just... His sound is there. Yeah. It's, I'm it's surprised they managed to get more than a one-man band for Superman 4, to be fair. Give... <laughs> yeah, give <laughs> Just a busker doing it. <laughs> um, but, I mean, it's, it's funny looking at where, in the wake of Superman's success, you had a lot of other films kind of come along, I mean, to the point where you had, like, Condor Man and things like that, which had a score itself by Harry Mancini. Uh, which is which is a very cool score, um, and then you had kind of a lot of kind of comic book stuff. So you had Howard the Duck. Um, I which cannot is remember the score to that. John Barry. That's a John Barry score. Yeah. Let's play a little bit of that now, then, because uh, you mentioned it earlier in conversation, and uh, I do not remember this at all. Let me find it. I just played that, you immediately like, you know, sat bolt upright and said you could hear uh, two or three of the Bond scores in it. Yeah, all kinds of things. <laughs> what could you hear? Um, I can't remember what I said now. Um, no, mainly, yeah, View to a Kill. Um, yeah, you said All Time in the World. Um, you said Out of Africa as well, didn't out you? Out of Africa, Born um, Free. Um, oh, what's the other one? Was Sean Connery sorry. in it? Uh, what a Bond film! No, historical um, drama. Welcome Rob, to me. Um, Robin and Marion. Maybe no, that's not the, the one. Window, that's the, the window. One, the window no, that's not the one I'm after. Name the uh, rose. No, skip it. Skip it. It'll come to me. 
Yeah, and I, I, yeah, I mean, I hear somewhere in time and everything, John Barry. Somewhere does in as time, well. yeah, that's another. That one. was in there. Um, so yeah, I, I, I've only ever seen that film once, so I didn't remember that piece of music. It is truly beautiful. Uh, yeah, bond in that, yeah. And yeah, I mean, I mean it's, it's funny because that was 1986, so that would have been right around the time of Future Kill and Linda. Out of Africa. And oh, Out of Africa was 85, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Out yeah. of Africa, definitely. Yeah. Um, very, very gentle, very melodic. And you had um, as well from another comic book one, which was, well, I say comic book, it was from novels as well, which is um, Conan the Barbarian. Um, now I've got yeah. a, uh, Conan the Barbarian is uh, one of my closest friends' favourite score ever. It's one of mine. Okay, let's play the main. I'm not thing. too familiar with it, sadly. If we could, if we had endless time, we'd play loads of different bits. Yeah. Of let's just let's just, because I'm I know this is well thought of. When I finish, tell us a little bit about the guy who wrote it, Charlie. This is Conan the Barbarian from the early eighties. Chris, as we played that, you you noted you uh, you noted you could hear what in it. Sorry, what did you uh, say you noticed? I, I instantly sort of thought Total Recall, the the main. Yeah. But, but was my even, first even reaction then, yeah. was um, all, all the sort of you know Saruman and you know stuff, effectively from from uh, Lord the Peter Jackson Lord of the Rings films. Uh, this scores are uh, very highly rated, Charlie. And Absolutely. I know next to nothing about it. Yeah, it's 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 easily in my top five favorite ever scores. Um, so it was composed by yeah, a gentleman called uh, Baz, Basil Pulladuras, um, and uh, it's it's funny that Chris mentioned Total Recall because it's um, that's Goldsmith, isn't it? Yeah, but it was also um, a Paul Verhoeven film, and Paul Verhoeven started out with his American films. Um, being scored by uh, Basil Polidurus because he did Robocop. Oh. Um, and he also did a, a film called Flesh and Blood. Which I've seen. Which is kind of like a medieval fantasy thing um, with Rutger Howard. Um, I instantly so, want to see that film now. <laughs> yeah. 
it's great. It's very violent as well. Um, and um, sold. So <laughs> a lot of people and, and a lot of people always go on. I mean, really, it's just the first couple of notes. It's a bam, bam, and the total recall kind of goes off in a completely different direction. Um, but he always point, uh, my, my friend who's very fond of that score always points to its simplicity. Yes, absolutely. And uh, and again, it's got a ton of themes and really beautiful, recognisable themes. Um, and he he also did um, the Hunt for Red October, um, and he went on to do Starship Troopers um, with Verhoeven um, after he uh, it was kind of Verhoeven alternated between uh, Goldsmith and uh, and Polydorus. Um, but for uh, some reason, um, neither of them did Showgirls. Um, sadly, Pazapodorus um, is 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 no longer with us. Um, but uh, yeah, ag- again, it's it's one of these um, scores that kind of you, you see where the lineage goes. Um, and then after this, it really goes to uh, to Danny Elfman and Batman. And Batman. Uh, well, let's, let's play it. we did play it earlier as by point of comparison, but I do think it deserves sort of its own section here. Yeah. This is the main Batman theme by Danny Elfman.
I've yeah, I've I think we've all loved that always. <laughs> it's great. Yeah, um, it's it's unbelievable, and <clears throat> again, it's the same with, with again. Go back to Superman, Superman and Batman. The the i the um their iconic title sequences. So you have Superman with that with those amazing titles where they kind of zoom towards you and away from you, and then you have Batman where it's kind of really where you're kind of cycling around the. Uh, the, the the giant bat symbol yeah um but a lot more insular yeah absolutely and, and uh, less soaring obviously but, but yeah, still yeah. it, it but suits still the character doesn't it but it's still recognizably a superhero film in the sim- a similar mm. vein to superman yeah oh definitely so it definitely kind of like just sort of like builds and goes into like a like a, a i want to say sort of like a ramble but in like an ensemble kind of like fanfare doesn't it you have the main, you have the main theme, the duh, duh, which is very like slow and moody, and it's meant to give out the, fa- the like more of a gothic sensibility, whereas Superman is a lot more triumphant, a bit more kind of arousing, and so it's like the the kind of. If that was forever their themes, you wouldn't argue, would you? No, well, it, no. I, I think I think it almost is now. You know, uh, I mean, I know they both have their updates, and you know. Uh, by we will come whatnot. on to them. We need to get. We'll we'll get the this yeah, side yeah, of yeah. two thousand in a minute. But yeah. I think I think if you mention Batman, I think you think of that Elfman score. If you're thinking of relatively modern cinema, yeah, I mean, obviously there is the '66 thing, but I think oh, you true, think yeah. of that first. Yeah, um, I I do. I, I was taken a bit aback in 1985, uh, 1995, sorry, when Batman Forever came along because. They ditched Elfman, Elfman's score along with every other recognisable element of the Burton films. Um, as, as anyone who listened to our series on that, I'm not the biggest Batman Forever fan. I know Charlie's fond, but I do like the score. And when you think how iconic the Elfman one is, I'm a little bit surprised I like this so much. It's it's funny, you know. I mean, Elliot Goldenthal, um, he... Uh... He had to not only had to follow Batman and follow Danny Elfman, but he had to follow James Horner on uh, on and Jerry Goldsmith on uh, on Alien as well by doing Alien Three. <laughs> That's and, um, an easy task. No, absolutely. Yeah. But I think with, with should we just play what he came up with and then you can talk about it a little bit more? Of Charlie? course, yeah. All right, let's play the Batman Forever theme, which I really really like. It's, it's like 
I mean, with, with the Elfman one, it's kind of it's cut into a bit more kind of discernible sections. So again, like Superman, you have the and then you have the but with 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 golden fouls he kind of um he's got the he goes sorry that's danny alfman hang on a sec because right so golden fouls is yes but again he but he so instead of separating that out he has that um he just what? uses the same ones as in in different tempos. And I don't different know about stuff. you guys, but those two things, Elfman and Goldenfold, they feel like siblings of scores anyway. Yeah, absolutely. And again, it's it's kind of going a bit back to Herman, really. Um, I mean, there's a lot of elements in uh, Batman Forever um, when it's not going mental, because I mean, so much of the film is mental, and so much of the score is mental as well and there's lots of like sirens and stuff it just goes crazy but there's also parts that are really kind of film noir-esque um and again that's kind of where golden thou really does well um with with scoring that film so really that's have we sort of covered everything we really want to cover in the 20th century well, just about. Um, I mean, yeah, you have ba- Batman and Forever and Batman and Robin as well. Um, Batman and Robin is a really good score as well. Yeah, no, there's nothing wrong with the score. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's sad that it's never had an official release. Um, but um, so you had that. And then just kind of, again, after the stuff that followed Superman, you had ones that followed Batman. Um, so you had the Rocketeer and the I Shadow. I love the Rocketeer. We yeah. need to play something from The Rocketeer because Charlie's mentioned James Horner tonight a few times. Yeah, that's a fantastic uh, And he's, he's no longer with us, and if we don't mention him now, we probably won't get to mention him at all. So, Well, he did Amazing me... Spider-Man. Yeah. I, I, I say, well, I no, say we'll probably not mention him at all. Um... <laughs> that's Timothy Dalton does, like, like, the world's most uh, atrocious German accent. A, a film so that, this... he, uh, that he said, no, I didn't fancy doing. This is from The Rocketeer.
Uh, I have to admit, of the four of us, I've never seen The Rocketeer. I'm aware You're of missing it, out. and now I've seen, and now I've seen Timothy Dalton and my love Jennifer Connelly are in it. Yeah, I'll have to get that out as soon as possible. It, it's a, um, it's no. a really good watch. Um, it's yeah. Well, uh, it's got a real 1940s feel to what we've just heard. I thought. Yeah, it's got a really nice charm to it. I mean, I won't say much because we were talking about school, but yeah, it's. I think it's one of my kind of. It's one of. I want to say. It's one of my favourite films. It is it's a nice, warm, comfy blanket of a film. It's just like a nice little throwback. It was I think... on Netflix. I don't know if it still is. Oh, was it? Oh, okay. I, remember it com- I remember it coming out. I've got it on DVD. I've never seen trailers. But... Yeah, streaming services are available. It didn't do that well, oh, sadly DVD. enough. <laughs> no, but it didn't do that well, sadly enough. But I think it's one of those films that people like revisit and go, oh, actually, no, that's pretty good. And Tim Dalton does do a really good evil um, Ella Flynn. So, <laughs> anyway, that's my that's my view um, of the Rocketeer. <laughs> Charlie, tell us about the score for the Rocketeer and, and James Warner's work in this area. Yeah, it's it's just lovely. I mean, yeah, he, he hasn't he hasn't done a lot in this kind of thing, and um, I guess after the kind of because he he did the, the kind of Star Trek and he did Aliens. And he kind of he, he he refused to do any more Star Trek because he didn't want to be kind of typecast in that area. So he went on to stuff like um, Field of Dreams and things like that, and a lot of kind of more varied stuff. Well, um, listening to that, that sort of stuff would suit him. Yeah, it's Field a lovely, Dreams. lovely score. Um, and uh, yeah, I've not the, seen the... Field of Dreams either. <laughs> I've seen lots of stuff, but I haven't seen either of those. <laughs> We should do a podcast um, on, on the films we've not seen but probably should have. <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, I, I, I probably got loads myself. After a couple of episodes. <laughs> but then, um, to, we'll have to admit to everyone we've not seen Goldfinger, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just we, 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 we just read it on Wikipedia and go, yeah, okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, so, so, I mean, that was what, 94... Um, and you had Judge Dredd, which was um, not a superhero, but a comic book. But uh, that's a, a film of really, really great music. That's um, Silvestri, that, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, and Silvestri, yeah. Um, and then, um, kind of like a 1998, you have Blade. And that was... Um, I don't really remember the Blade of, score. Well, the, the Blade score is really quite underrated, and underrated understated. Um, by Mark Kisham. Um and uh, it's it's a really good score. And um, but I think a lot of what people remember about that film is the uh, the kind of more dancey tracks yeah. they put in there. <laughs> yeah. So you had that in '98, um, and then you had the same kind of thing in '99 with the Matrix, where it's like kind of a mix of orchestral stuff and uh, and electronics. And then um, in 2000, you heard X-Men. So, yeah, 2000, 2000 sees the X-Men film come, come, come along. We get a sequel in sequels in 2003 and 2006, if you take the sort of original trilogy. They sound like this, folks.
No, I know next to nothing about this score either, other than I always remember I always remember that main sort of piece of music because it normally comes right after Patrick Stewart narration. Yeah. And um <clears throat> so X-Men was scored by Michael Kamen. Um yeah, I, see, I always thought it was John Otway because John Otway seems to do a lot of stuff with Brian Singer these days. So yeah, but John Ottman did. Um, he did uh, the the sequels or some of the sequels, um, the ones that are directed by Brian Singer anyway. And um, I believe at the time that X Men was being done, he was off. He directed um, Urban Legend, the film. Okay. Yeah, so he was off um, doing that. Um, so yeah, but they got Michael Kamen in, and he did a really interesting score. But what they did after that is, for whatever reason, they got um, um, Klaus Bedeltin, um, okay. and then uh, kind of put his stuff, his all of his electronics over the top. Um, so when you actually listen to the um, the score in the film, um, it's quite different to what it is on the soundtrack, and it's kind of very much kind of like a hybrid. Um, which is kind of like a, a kind of signifier of, of where it was going to go anyway. Yeah. But certainly, <laughs> certainly, although that's a recognisable theme, already we're into a new century, century with music that's just a little bit more understated than what we've had from superhero films we've talked about in the first part of the show. Yeah. And that Absolutely. continues. That really does continue with Spider-Man. I thought. I mean, Spider-Man's a very different character from from uh, sort of Batman, and certainly in the hands of Christopher Nolan's, but you know that is Batman. Yeah. But there's a, there's always that sort of undertone in in all of these in the, the scores that did little, little 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 you know that little yeah, bit yeah, yeah. under the surface. Let's just play a little bit from Elfman's Spider-Man score.
Now, that never stuck in my mind at the time. I, I know it instantly now, and I can I can summon it to my mind without having to go and see the film or play anything. Yeah. But it never stuck in my mind at the time in the same way. I don't know about you guys. No. Um, I think I think in terms of recent, like, over the past 10 years, maybe 20 years or so, depending on... But I think superhero um, scores tend to be... Less iconic, more nuanced. Um, not uh, t- to an extent. They don't tend to sort of like stick in the mind so much. Uh, but when I listen to that, I do generally think Marvel. You know, even like the recent ones, that, that sort of rising sort of strings. That I always see the Marvel logo and the flipping comics, and you kind of think, oh, we're getting to Marvel film, um, whether it's Spider Man or not. I, you know, I that's the vision i have i don't know whether i don't know if any of you guys have that as well i i I get what you're saying and i think they used it over the marvel logo for a few years as well but i think um i think all i'm trying to say is we're about to get to the dark knight trilogy which is a very very different type of superhero film and yet some of the sort of basic constructions actually kind of similar yeah yeah i think as well one thing that um a a non-superhero film that needs to be considered um, for that is Gladiator. Okay. Um, sorry. Okay. Uh, is there a particular part of the Gladiator soundtrack that makes that point, Charlie? Mm-hmm. Um, I guess the um, some of the action stuff, like the, the Barbarian Horde and things like that. Barbarian Horde from Gladiator.
so that was i mean the the, the huge success of gladiator um really kind of put zimmer hans zimmer on the map as a kind of action composer i mean i mean just as an aside in that clip there was neptune um from the planets by holst in there and uh a lot hasn't he really yeah but apparently apparently or whoever got sued for uh, for doing that by the whole estate, um, but um, so see when I, when I think is... of the Gladiator um, score, I always think of uh, Mission Impossible Two because he he did he did the score to that, and I remember them being sort of similarities yeah. in terms of like what he did with the um, I think I, I don't know what what's called, but there was definitely similarities between it. So you can definitely tell he was working. Um, both at the same time, you play for. Oh, you start for that film as well. So, <laughs> but certainly you're pointing to the uh, not only the sound of the Gladiator score, but the success of it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So that kind of put him on the map, and then the the sound of it, and Zimmer's kind of like kind of wall of sound where it's very, very kind of bombastic, and instead of being kind of very thematic, um, it's instead kind of anthemic almost it's kind of like he's got, it's got more much more of a bit of a pop sensibility almost yeah um but it's got it's got a lot of kind of overdubs and electronics in there that um make it sound um quite synthetic and artificial at times okay. um and then yeah so you have batman begins and his kind of approach was pretty much the uh, the same thing and it didn't it had it had themes, but um, it didn't have. There's. It wasn't massively. Um, how should I say? Um, discernible, and it was very much. In the See, there's something... a couple of bits of music I always think of when I think of the Dark Knight films. Um, there's there's more than two, but there are there are two that there's one that I think of as effectively the theme for these bits of these films. Hmm. Uh, it's of the Dark Knight soundtrack has introduced a little anarchy. I'll play a bit of that now.
So I think of that as his major theme. Yeah. And when I think of Batman generally, although I think of the version that's at the end of Dark Knight Rises, actually mainly for the emotion of that part of the film, um, it's actually on the Dark Knight soundtrack as the very last track. It's just called A Dark Knight. Mm. I'll play a reasonably extended bit of this.
So I think it's a richer and probably a bit more emotional score than than perhaps I I always remembered at the time. I always thought of it like what you say is that bit of a wall of sound with a little bit of sort of percussion just gently going on under it. Yeah. Um, well, usually when it starts, it's, it's um, you know that 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 kind yeah, of yeah, like yeah. not <laughs> quite sort of it's like it's almost like something brimming underneath, isn't it? And also you got the Joker. It's just this kind of like yeah the, yeah. Oh yeah, I mean the Joker's the Joker's theme is literally just this. get the gist his, his theme is actually a very sort of long track on the on the album but it is yeah. just that real discordant held note yeah and i think that that was kind of quite an interesting uh across the whole trilogy a lot of it for me blends into each other um well i think dark knight rises is the dark knight score again with a bit yeah. more sort of percussion in it yeah, so it, it doesn't feel. I mean, especially. I mean, they, yeah, they're very different composers, but if you look at that and then you look at what Danny Elfman did for Batman Returns. Okay. Which is just crazy. Um, and it's. And he's got, he had this massive theme for the. Uh, um, for Catwoman, um, for the Penguin as well. Um, and uh, so. Stuff in there, and it's just kind of. A lot more of a, I guess, like like the film is a lot more purer voice of Tim Burton. The, the score is a lot more purer. Um, well, I think the difference between Allen. the two is is Batman Returns is Tim Burton finding his voice in that universe, yeah. If you like, and The Dark Knight Rises is everyone's just quickly knocking this out as a thank you for Inception. So I, I don't see the same sort of degree yeah. of inspiration, which, no. which I prefer. Which you prefer is neither here nor there, because Batman Returns is quite a divisive film, but it has a real authorship to it. Absolutely, yeah. So we can certainly still see, though, that there are distinctive things in all of these, in a lot of these films. Still, they yeah. just don't. They just don't sound like John Williams. No. Um, it's like the same with with Man of Steel and um, uh, Batman vs Superman. Well, <clears throat> I'm interesting you play Batman vs Superman because I, I don't want to. Um, I'm not going to go as far as to say I prefer it to the Williams theme. I think that would be a little bit ridiculous. But I genuinely love, and I think I'm going to play pretty much all of, or certainly most of, the the theme. What's most mostly um, attributed as the sort of theme within the Man of Steel. It's a track called. What are you going to do when you're not saving the world? And I'm going to play. If you don't like it, if you don't like it or don't want to listen to all of it, you've got to spin on about five and a half minutes from now.
Yeah, I, I think um, Hans Zimmer did a really good job of, like, because you think of, like, making a, a new score for Superman. It's kind of daunting after what Williams has done because it's just so dead on. It's so iconic and so just exactly... It just fits the character so well. It's just like, well, how do you follow that? Um, and I think Zimmer did a really good job with it. Uh, I mean, regardless of what you think of Man of Steel, you know, I know it's divisive. Um, some people love it, some people hate it. But the score is probably the, one of the best things in, in the film, from my my point of view. And I think what... Uh, no, that, that to me was by far the most memorable bit of the score... It's what parts of that are what I think of as Superman's theme. Yeah, and it, it's not in the next film, and I don't know why. It, I think I think it's part of me. Have I think for me, uh, for me, what I think of it, I think is that sort of slow piano, um, which is kind of like it's kind of very like sweet, and I think it. I think it, I, I think how I see a lot. I think Zimmer, Zimmer was doing, and what how I picture picture it to go following is like it's. it's following that very human, very kind of like soft and gentle element of Clark Kent and as it kind of like just gradually just builds into like something that's really triumphant and kind of like very soaring. It kind of represents that him kind of like developing into Superman and kind of getting that kind of... um, But while at its heart, it's got that really nice plinky-plonky sort of like soft um, theme to it. Which I really like, so, but that that sounds nostalgic as well. And when when you think about, you know, childhood Superman lives in like an Americana nostalgia. Yeah, you know what I mean. When you think about the original film and and like his childhood, and you know the wheat fields and all that, it, it's really quite evocative stuff. The super the Batman Superman score, I'm not so sure about. I can't remember much play, about the Batman theme. Well, let me just play you a it's bit, and then Charlie loud. can talk about it. <laughs> I'm going to play, this is called Beautiful Lie. Now, having played five minutes odd of the Man of Steel theme, I'm not playing very much of that because it does my head in quite quickly. Charlie, the Batman versus Superman (laughs) score. Yeah. Um... I mean, I think um, about to why Superman's theme is, is the film is because of the way Superman, Superman as a character. Um, I mean, I, I just going back to Man of Steel. I love Man of Steel as a soundtrack. Yes. But I can't deal with it as a score. A because I think the film is so terrible. Um, I really dislike the film. Oh, you kept that quiet. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I can, so I, I can listen to it and really, really appreciate it. It's probably my favourite of Zimmer's works as a soundtrack. So again, um, and yeah, Batman vs Superman was even worse because I mean it was him teaming with Chunky XL. Um, oh, it's just Junk- a discordant mess, I thought. Yeah, Chunky XL did the Batman stuff, and then yeah. Zimmer did the Superman stuff, which there wasn't much of. Um, yeah. So it was all kind of like a big kind of muddy blob. Um, yeah, I guess it's a bit the, like when what was it about half a dozen people did the score to the Amazing Spider-Man too. Like, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, you, you don't end up with you know you don't end up with some super group version. You end up with a mess. Yeah, um, and I think it's it's. I own the Man of Steel score. I don't own the Batman Superman one. That's it, really, for me. <laughs> <laughs> um, I do, but I got free. 
<laughs> but I think it's interesting as well. Um, not wanting to skip over um, a certain um, Amazonian lady, but um, now the Batman film is being directed by Matt Reeves. Yep. Whether or not Giacchino will be brought in to score that. I adored his War for the Planet of the Apes score. Yeah. Which was because uh, I went to see that <clears throat> and the amazing, uh, sorry, not the amazing. I went to see that and Spider Man Homecoming in the same week. Mm. Did he score that? He scored yeah, something yeah, else yeah. I saw around the yeah. And I was really underwhelmed by the Spider Man score and absolutely blown away by the War for the Planet of the Apes score because what he produced was both fresh and completely cognizant of the history of the series. Yeah. I loved it and it. But oh, we stand out. I mean, it's not quite my thing like it is you, and I will sort of sit and talk about scores, but they don't always stand out. His Spider-Man score was a bit nothing to me, but his Planet of the Apes score was absolutely superb. It was amazing. It was just absolutely amazing. And, uh, yeah, like you said, it was it was, it was was new, it was fresh, um, but it was... It was so much Planet of the Apes yeah. 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 Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, stuff I've forgotten because I've only ever seen the Planet of the Apes films like a couple of times each. Yeah. Going to cover them again next year, but I was being reminded of themes that I didn't even realise my brain had stored. Mm. Yeah. Really terrific stuff. So, I, I, what you're trying to say is you'd be very interested to see what he would do for the Batman film with Matt Reeves. Yeah. Ab- absolutely. With Matt Reeves yeah. giving him direction, if you like. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so what about the Wonder Woman score? I, I I can only ever remember the main bit. Yeah, I haven't seen the film. I don't remember who scored no. it either. It was Rupert Gregson Williams. What's he known for? Anything um, else? No, not really. Um, I think he did the Postman Pat film. Um, <laughs> okay. Seriously. seriously. Um, okay. With Ronan Keating doing the singing. <laughs> <laughs> um, hang on that's how he won the uh, Green Day yeah, or X Factor. He did, and it was it was it wasn't bad actually. Green Day's got talent. Yeah. Um, Let me go one main theme for you for a moment.
Um, as that's both a really, really a piece of music I really like, and also um, more than that, she's the only female lead we've had tonight. So I played, I played all of that. That's the main Wonder Woman theme, Charlie. What did you make? Well, let, let's actually start. What did you make of it, um, uh, Becca? Did you saw the Wonder Woman film, didn't you? I did indeed. No, I really enjoyed it. Um, and it's about time too <laughs> that we have um, a female superhero. Obviously, we've got Supergirl. Back in, you know, mid- but it's 30 years ago in the film machine. Yeah, I was going to say, but it was mid-80s. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, that's it. And obviously now we've got the, the CW um, series. Um, is it CW? Or... Yeah, yeah, no. It, yeah, CW, that was it. Obviously, Warner Brothers, but obviously CW in America. But again, that's a small, uh, that, that is a comparatively smaller audience. And when you watch it, it's like very Ali McBeal in tone. Or it certainly was when it started. I haven't watched it since then, to be fair. Um <laughs> I, I mean, that's going back away. <laughs> well, no, I, yeah, just, I really enjoyed it, the movie, but I've seen. I think the, the theme. The I, film I, great. I do. I do like the theme, um, but it's one of those that you can't like. I don't know. I find it's not very memorable. I know that's really weird, but it's like some of these themes. You know, can you can you hum them? Can you sing a tune? It's like we well, you can, but I find this one that's just because. No, but of I the, could play air guitar to this one. Yeah, I, yeah, I play it on my guitar. <laughs> <laughs> like one note. I guitar at home. But yeah, no, exactly. But it's oh, two notes, I guess. Because it is, it's you, you can hum it. And, There's a bit um, more to it than that. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's kind of very, it's very striking. It's very, um, you know, you, you can you can record it easily, definitely. But you know, really enjoyed it. It was very powerful um, and very um, inspiring as well. I think they also used that theme quite wisely as well. They didn't sort of bang it out at every opportunity. I remember it only really kicking in like through the halfway point, you know, which is actually fighting like the soul. Soldiers, uh, it only really sort of kicked in right round about then, really, which I kind of like was thought was a good good call. Um, but yeah, no, I, th- I think it's also about time was that DC had a <laughs> had a critical hit, um, yeah. as well. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I don't want to uh, to overlionize it, but it, it was at the very better, best end of what we could ever have expected, given what DC have done lately, yeah. Um, given that there's no previous, apart from the Linda Carter TV series and like cartoons and stuff, there isn't uh, there isn't an iconic. I mean, you've got the you've always got the Christopher Reeve version to either hew close to, back against if you like. You've got something to to which you can gravitate or or do quite the opposite. And Wonder Woman <clears throat> doesn't have that, and so I really wasn't sure how it was going to come out. Um, also heard they did some really wise things in that film like Gal Gadot has an unusual accent in terms of how the cadence of her words flow in English but they got everyone on the island to speak with her accent so it comes out as just that's the regional accent of that island so you got Robin Wright (coughs) talking in Gal Gadot's cadence and it it actually works really well and the number of people I've said that to who didn't even notice it it's yeah. almost like subliminal that that gets into your head. That's really good. But yeah, that, um, that's the only bit of the score I can remember, though. Well, I just wanted to mention, um, <clears throat> while we were on the subject of, of kind of women in, in in this, is a lady called Shirley Walker, um, who Shirley is, Walker is slightly a, a very a very important person, um, but unfortunately not as well known as she should be. Um, now Shirley Walker. Um, was a composer that was also an orchestrator. Um, she spent 
a lot of her time orchestrating for uh, other composers and conducting as well. And what she did is, is she conducted and orchestrated Danny Elfman's Batman score and uh, and doesn't really get the credit that she uh, she has for that. Um, but then what she did after that is she went and she did the music for the animated, a lot of the music for the animated series. And she wrote her own theme for the animated series as well as re-orchestrating the Danny Elfman one again. Um, and then she um, scored um, Batman Mask for the Phantasm. Okay, let me just see if I can find that then, uh, just to sort of draw the the contrast uh, out. Mask of the Phantasm theme. Here we go. Yes. Yeah, so, um, <clears throat> and then for TV, she uh, she um, composed um, themes for uh, um, Superman as well when they did Superman the animated series. I do know that theme. Let me just dig that one out.
Had you, had you ever heard that before, Becca? No, I'm sorry to say I haven't. Yeah, it sounds like loads of other things we've played tonight, doesn't it? It does mm-hmm. sound very similar. Very flusher feel. Yeah, deliberately yeah, it's animated a bit. Indiana Jones before. kind of aspect coming through from it again. Um, but yeah, very 30s, 40s, 20s, very much of that era. Shirley Walker's passed away now, I believe. I think she passed away in her 50s. <clears throat> yeah, I, I, I'm glad yeah, we actually yeah. managed she's, to. I'm uh, glad you that got mentioned tonight because I wouldn't have thought of her. Yeah, she's. Uh, I was just also always a massive fan of her, and she did a lot of kind of horror stuff. She did the first three Final Destination films and things like that. Oh. And um, yeah, she was she was just a fantastic composer, and uh, and did a lot did for other. Distant Bell. Sorry oh. to quote the wrong series of films, but yeah, unfortunately, I've, I've seen those films. <laughs> Um, um, but um, I mean, it's interesting now. Where going back to, to how we are now, there's Marvel and there's DC. Um, I mean, you've got kind of the X Men films and stuff, but there's not a massive amount out there that is kind of fighting against that monopoly. No, there's not an awful lot of well, there's not a lot of independents out there, are there? No, exactly. Mm. Um, so, so we might get a Banana Man movie, you never know. <laughs> so waiting for do... Super Ted. Oh, That'll be amazing. I won't play that. Everyone listening will get erections. <laughs> even, even the women. <laughs> yeah, um, they'll just magically grow penises. Just grow just... <laughs> yeah, that's why <laughs> Super Ted isn't made anymore. <laughs> It was causing involuntary gender reassignment. <laughs> but hopefully you've been able to kind of see the evolution that the, this music has made and that, <clears throat> I guess, superhero music as a whole and for better or worse, where it started and where it's finished at the time being. Thank you ever so much. Um, that was really great. It's going to be a very different time. Next time we meet up to do a music episode, it'll be very different. It'll be a much more confined period because it will be the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yeah. But even then, Marvel have a stated goal of trying to do sort of different subgenres with each film. Mm. So you've got Ant-Man as a very heist film, for example, and so on. And it'll be interesting to see how the music does reflect that and how it's developed over time because... Uh, it's quite funny when something like Iron Man came along, they went very sort of hard rock, and, and it was almost like the young upstart. Yeah, even though it was like even though it was like seventies music largely, but it'd be very interesting to go on that journey. But you're staying with us for the next bit of our journey. Before we go on to that, Charlie, where can we find you on the internet? No, okay, um, you can find me at Movie Drone on um, Twitter, um, and you can also. Um, go to um, listen to my podcast, which is the, about horror music called The Sound of Fear. Um, and you can find that at soundcloud.com stroke soundfearpod. Almost low Leslie Nielsen in it, but then I realised that was The Smell of Fear. The, naked, <laughs> the second Naked Gun film. Got very confused on that. And where can we find you two on the internet? Uh, I, I'm just thinking about our our current love affair with Leslie Nielsen. <laughs> yeah. Um, the yeah, sex has never been better. <laughs> uh, you can find me at Cinematrax on Twitter uh, and uh, this 
podcast will be found on uh, well <laughs> obviously you already found it so there you are but you can check out other podcasts but if you want to find it again somewhere else yes <laughs> it's on cinematronics.co.uk you can find me at the pasty kid 1976 on, on twitter or you can follow us collectively at expect us to talk on twitter so that's it for superheroes for a while let's move on to something grittier which means Becca. Yes, that means. Do you expect to talk or return with Star Wars and you hope?